What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. Because I think librarians, like myself, are some of the best information resources out there today, I'd like to share with you a little insider information about a great list that librarians with the American Association of School Librarians put together each year called the Best Websites for Teaching and Learning. Navigating the web can be particularly difficult, especially when you are looking for high-quality websites that can help your children develop the qualities of innovation, creativity, and collaboration. To help us navigate the web and find the best of the best, the American Association of School Librarians creates an annual list of 25 internet sites that offer tools and resources in the categories of media sharing, digital storytelling, managing and organizing, social networking and communications, curriculum collaboration, and content resources. This list is focused on the needs of librarians and teachers in schools. And if you work with kids in a professional capacity, this list is highly recommended for great applications that can easily be incorporated into your teaching and students' learning. But even with its focus on schools, the website's list has great potential for use in homes for all kinds of creative endeavors. For example, in the 2015 list is a website called Soundtrap. This website is designed to help you create music online quickly and easily. You can plug in instruments or use the ones provided, or even record a song directly using an external microphone. It's a great little tool for budding musicians to use to create their own compositions or to collaborate with friends to make a whole symphony. When you're finished, your masterpieces can be easily published using Facebook, Twitter, or iTunes. The sites like this one on the best websites list are free, and each one is a user-friendly resource that encourages learners to explore and discover the world around them. So no matter how you engage with kids, if you're looking for authoritative and dynamic websites that can develop 21st century literacies, then check out the American Association of School Librarians' Best Websites for Teaching and Learning. And that's a little information just for you, straight from Rachel's World. Welcome to Worlds Awaiting. You may not have heard of the term alternative literature, but you probably know about graphic novels, or even read one. Rachel and her guest, Jean Nelson, director of the Provo City Library, discuss the importance of various formats that can stimulate a child's interest in reading. Jean Nelson has participated on many local, regional, and national committees, including the Caldecott Committee in 2000 and in 2010. He also teaches children's literature classes at BYU. Here's Rachel with Jean. Welcome, Jean. We're so glad to have you here today. Thank you, Rachel. You know, the world of children's literature and books has just changed so dramatically, even from when, when I was young and engaging with it. There's just so much out there. There's so many alternative formats that that just engage us in a really unique way. So why don't you tell us about some of the formats that you think are so unique today that add to the richness of the field oh, of children's wow. literature? You know, particularly, I think, with children, one of the, the biggest alternative formats uh, are the graphic novels. And um, as I've had a chance to talk with parents in a variety of groups, a lot of, and even teachers, will kind of uh, back up just a bit, go pale, 
You yeah. want when me you to, say a graphic you want me to novel? present a graphic novel? <laughs> and then I explained to them, well, that's just a term. And the graphic novels for children are not as graphic as you think yeah. they are. And I explained, you know, it's just like the old comic books. It really is. They're a little bit thicker, a little bit more money put into them in yeah. their publishing. But one of the reasons, and I'm a huge reader today, and I consider myself to be a voracious reader yeah. like you, is because of comic books. And I make no bones about it. And those early Superman and Batman, those heroic type of things that are very popular right now, that's what I read. And uh, as we consider graphic novels, it is one of the most popular sections in our library. It's a growing collection. I think most public libraries are putting more and more money into them because many of our children today, that's what they want to read. And I'm all about not shoving a book on a child that they really don't want to read because you're going to turn them off as a reader and we're going to lose them. It's amazing to me just the range of graphic novels. It's it's such a wide scope of things. And there's the more traditional kinds of graphic novels that come from Japan. They're often called manga. And, you know, those are their own little right. kind of subset. And then there's the more American graphic novels that have um, more of a connection to the heroic comic book kinds of things. But there really is there really is something out there for everyone in this oh, there format. Really is. And, you know, interesting enough, we're seeing, as we talked about informational books, we're seeing a real growth in the informational books that are researched, but now in a graphic yeah. novel. I think of Provo's own Nate Hale, yes, who's done very well with his Hatter, <laughs> Hazardous, Hazardous Tales, Tales yeah. series. If our listeners and, haven't found those books yet, they oh, need to go out and wonderful. find them today. And one of my favorites yeah. is the uh, the Donner Dinner Party. <laughs> And Nate has this wonderful slice sense of humor, but he does his research. Oh, impeccable and, research. And he does have some great uh, graphic illustrations throughout the book as well. And, you know, we're, we're finding that when I go down to my local bookstore in Barnes Noble in Orem, besides the teen section, probably the busiest section is the graphic novel yeah. section. It, it is amazing how many incredible things are out there. And I think Nate Hale is one of my my all-time favorites. And one of the reasons I like what his his books do is because they read like watching a play. Exactly. It, and, and I think yep. that's what graphic novels do really well is they have that cr- kind of dramatic sense to it. And one of my all-time favorite graphic novel series is the manga Shakespeare that take Shakespeare's plays and put it in the manga style, that mm-hmm. kind of illustrative style. But they use the exact language that they use in Shakespeare. So it's it's very much classic. Almost like the old cliff note that yeah, you and almost, I used to have. Yeah, but it's so or much illustrated better. Classics. Yeah, illustrated classics. But it's so much better because I've always had a hard time teaching Shakespeare because it's a visual. Shakespeare is a visual yes. form. It's not a text. It was never meant to be read. It was meant to be seen. So with the manga Shakespeare, it's fabulous because it is seen and read at the same time, and you get so much more out of it uh, from that dramatic form. And there's a lot of kids that that's what they're looking for. They need that visual. One of the interesting things that's happening lately, too, is more and more publishers are publishing a book. Neil Gaiman's Coraline is a good Mm, example. Yes. Great little horror, spooky type of tale, and that's been also turned into a graphic novel. And we're seeing more and more that are actual novels— Owen Colfer with his Artemis Fowl series down. has been turned into a graphic novel. Even yours and my favorites, the, the Hardy Boys and the Nancy yep. Drew books, mm-hmm. yeah. are now being produced also in a graphic novel form 
for that reader that yeah. wants to read that stuff. Well, and that's the interesting thing to me when I think about these kinds of different formats is that every different format brings something different to mm-hmm. it. And, um, you know, we've talked with other guests about audiobooks. And, oh, what a popular uh, yeah, thing at the library. Yeah, audiobooks are great. And I know that there's some books that I've read in text form, and I haven't really liked them. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that's fine. You know, I really, that's okay. But then I hear it in audio, and it's a whole and different a great narrator. experience. Yeah. And the same is true with some of these graphic novels. I even read um, A Wrinkle in Time. They recently put out a graphic novel form of that classic book. And I love A Wrinkle in Time. I've read it dozens of times. I've taught it in classes. So, you know, I'm very intimately familiar with that book. And when I read the graphic novel format, I connected to some of the emotions of the characters. It was a great one. At a level that I hadn't before. And it kind of stunned me because it was a whole new book to me Mm -hmm. just because of the nature of the format. And it changed my perspective and changed the depth at which I reacted to the book. So I think we need to be careful, you know, saying, oh, you know, not that format, because we don't realize the the scope that it can bring. And all of us have different reading designs and and different natures about us that uh, I'm not a big audio fan, but I have a whole bunch of people that love those things. You know, another interesting thing that we do at the library that many libraries do is our create, we've created book clubs, but we'll check out 15, 20 copies to a book club so they can share it with all the book club members. And then they have that social yeah. interaction discussion. And not again, not everybody can afford the 10 yeah. to $15 to buy a copy so they can check out 20 copies of the yeah. same book in former. And that's been very, very popular for us. Yeah. And that's that's really a very great way to just connect with a broader, a broader audience. Because again, we don't uh. all react in the same way to the same type of text and format of text. So. Well, you know, I think it's worth talking uh, too about, we've mentioned the ebook, mm, and we're, we're yeah. finding that they that the purchases of ebooks were just climbing. They're starting to level off just yeah. a bit. But um, I just had a wonderful vacation in some island part of the country uh, a few months ago, and I was about the only one that had print material with me. Everybody else had yeah. an e-reader of some sort as they were reading one of their many books they <laughs> yeah. had. So some wonderful advantages yeah. to that technology yeah. that a lot of people just absolutely love. Well, yeah, and again, I think that that's one of those types of things. For me, if I was going to an island, you know, everybody says, what one book would you want to take? And I'd say, oh, I'd take my Kindle. Because <laughs> <Yeah, you go. laughs> well, I have 3,500 exactly. books instead of just one. What a great advantage. <laughs> and then hopefully there would be Wi-Fi on the desert island so I could download some more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and then when you drop your ebook reader in the ocean, in the ocean, then yeah, I, okay, yeah. There goes but if your you drop 3, your print book in the ocean too, That's it disintegrates too. as well. Touche, touche. <laughs> that really, to me, is the case that there's just so many formats out there, and there really is something for everybody. We have to be careful, kind of pigeonholing formats exactly. and saying, you know, this format is for this or that, because it doesn't really work that way. Mm-hmm. There's such a broad range that are open to every kind of reader. We're beginning to spend even more money on ebooks for our children's department. And heretofore, there hasn't been a great demand and desire, but we're seeing more of that. Not so much in picture books. I'm anxious to see what happens to that. The technology isn't quite there yet. And there's a couple of publishers (laughs) that are doing some picture book e-books that are more dependent on the bells and whistles of the technology. You know, you push this and then the balloons will fly up. And we're finding with some preliminary research that some of our kids are losing some of the narrative skills and structures because they're getting kind of uh, 
disassociated with the storyline as yeah. much as the bells and whistles they're liking. And I, again, I think as as parents, we have to be critical about that because there's certain stories that lend themselves really to that. I I know I have. Um, Sandra Boynton's, some of her sure. Muba, La 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 books. And those are really board books, and they, they're really intended to be a page at a time. There's no narrative right. flow. And, you know, having the chicken throw his socks around and stuff exactly. is really a great way to interact with that book. But other things that have more of a narrative flow kind of lose the We'll, we'll see <laughs> what the, the future context. brings on those things. Yeah, it's going yeah. to be very interesting. Yeah, it, it's up in the air. Yes, it is. <laughs> no question but, about that. But one thing I do know is we librarians will be on the forefront. Absolutely. So if we you, will be there if for you. you. If, you need, if you need help, just check with the librarians there and we'll, we'll be able to help you out. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jean, for You're visiting with welcome. us today. That was Rachel Wadham with Jean Nelson, director of the Provo City Library, talking about how alternative literature can be one way to turn children into readers. Next up, helping your child make decisions. Amy Miner joins Rachel to talk about this. Dr. Miner is a professor of teacher education at BYU. She specializes in curriculum and instruction with an emphasis on social studies and democratic practices. She also has a master's in children's literature. Here's Dr. Amy Miner and World's Awaiting host, Rachel Wadham. Welcome, Amy. We're so glad to have you today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. One of the things as adults with children in our lives, we, we just want our children to grow up and be amazing adults and to find find their place in the world and to be able to be contributing members of society. I think any, any adult with a child in their life, that's what they want them to be. So let's talk a little bit about what do you think parents can do to really help their, their children to engage in the communities and, and societies and the democracy that we're participating in today? It's a great question. I think at the heart of that is to understand how choice works. And if democracy has in its foundation this element of decision-making and choice, then parents and adults who care about democracy and democratic literacies will also have choice and decision-making at the center of their focus. And as a parent, it's the attitude of within the parameters of keeping my children safe and providing for them the things that they need in terms of education and social and all of those different components, where can I create opportunities for choice? And that can start at a very, very young age. Part of it is using language around choice um, rather than language of this is being done to you or um, this is what we're going to be doing. It's what do you choose or you've made that choice or good choice. We can use language around that. Even very, very early, I remember with one of my daughters saying, we're going to take naps today, but you get to choose easy or hard. And as a two-year-old, she understood that easy meant mom will lay by you and read you a story and we'll tickle and I'll tuck you in. Hard means you're going to fight on this and I'm going to walk away and let you stay here by yourself till you fall asleep. But either way, within that parameter, the nap's going to happen. And I think sometimes parents get confused by thinking, oh, I've got to give my children all these choices. You know, my example is very clear. There's still an outcome that has to happen. There's still parameters around how that outcome happens. It's within that box. Where can I give some wiggle room and create some ownership for my kids? We expect children, you know, 18, 21 to just kind of automatically turn that on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, that it doesn't work that way. No. You, you can't just expect our teenagers to be automatically literate in what they need to choose to do. We need to use these kinds of teaching opportunities and allow them that kind of choice that then prepares them to make the kind of choices 
on a more global scale, right, that right. they can participate in a greater community of people. Yeah, I think there's some research that talks about incoming college freshmen and how when they are first given their real opportunity of choice, their grades go down, their bank accounts empty very quickly, yeah. you know, because they haven't had those opportunities to really practice choice in a safe place where there's some safety nets of parents and where there's some scaffolding and parameters that allow them to kind of bump up and wiggle against it. Uh, One of my favorite approaches to this is a parent who very early creates a budget and and it's not an allowance, but it's a budget and the kids will earn money at different opportunities. And then when they're at the store and they're saying, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have that? The mom just says, well, you tell me, you know how much money you have and is this how you choose to spend it? And they keep track of it. And by just turning that over, I watched, you know, as you're going through the checkout lane, it's almost the most scary place as a mom with little kids. Because, you know, right as you're getting ready to check out on either side of you, they're putting at kid level all the junk. The kid stuff. The kid stuff, you know, that's cheap and it's going to break before you even get to the parking lot. And the kids are whining and you're tired. And by just turning that right over, you're, you're modeling for kids. You're creating a space for kids to make decisions within their budget. Um, An extension of that was a family I know that was planning a family vacation from the West Coast of the United States to the East Coast. It was going to be a road trip. And the parents got the kids together and said, this is where we're ending. And we know we're driving. But beyond that, what do you want to do along the way? And what do you want to see and learn about? And they broke up as a family into these little subcommittees almost where one child was in charge of finding out the best places to stay and one was in charge of finding out the national parks and the cool places to see along the way and what history needed to be and what do we need to read before we go so that when we drive through Branson, Missouri, we know yeah, what we're driving, driving through, through yeah. you know, and and it was such a wonderful thing. And the budget was part of that conversation. Here's what we have to spend. So where are we going to spend that? And instead of the kids saying, can we eat out? Can we go do this? Can we go do this? The kids were in charge of understanding, oh, I'd rather not eat out at that fast food restaurant because I know that in the next city, there's this really cool place that I want to go. And, And it took all of the pressure off of the parents of being the bad guy all the time, but it put the pressure on the parents in a different way to facilitate authentic choice Again, within boundaries, here's what we're doing, here's the scope, here's our budget, how can we make decisions? The thing that happens with stuff like that is you don't get the typical whining teenager with his headset on because he doesn't want to be there. It's the the whining teenager that you say, you be in charge of making sure we're doing stuff that's interesting to you. Yeah. Suddenly you no longer have that issue. And I think you're I think within those experiences, you're modeling what we want kids to do in society within boundaries. And that's important. What kinds of opportunities can we create for choice and decision-making? And then how do we prepare them? And then as parents, you know, we're not going to let them make mistakes that are disastrous, but we might let them go to a fast food restaurant and go, wow, that wasn't very good. How could I do research on that next time? And they, again, they start learning. My kids have all of the apps on their phones, Yelp, and how do I get information and feedback about other people's experiences so that I make my experience be worthwhile. Well, and that just goes to show how deeply all types of literacies are integrated in every aspect of our lives. Mm -hmm. Because in an experience like that, you've got technology literacies, you've got financial literacies, you've got reading literacies, Mm -hmm. all of these kinds of things. And when we put them all in these kind of authentic experiences, they become a much more powerful learning tool and a powerful experience tool and add choice into that. And 
wow, yeah. <laughs> you've got an amazing set of conditions that yeah. just really perfect what you need to do. Yeah, I also think we're addressing some issues around entitlement mm. and things like that, that that clearly have ramifications in society. When kids work for these experiences, when they do their homework and do their research and make decisions around them, there's... There's no sense of entitlement. There's a sense of engagement. I worked for this. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to what I'm going to pull out of it. And there's some really wonderful benefits that come as a natural result to that. You, you don't have kids that show up and say, "Entertain me, teach me." You have kids that say, "Okay, what are my boundaries?" And within those boundaries, what resources do I have to create something spectacular here? And and that's the kind of excitement and learning. Yeah. And the thing I've noticed in my own home is that when I do that, sometimes it's a little trickier as a parent because you get four or five people with opinions in the room. You're going to have to navigate that. You know, you don't say to my kids, what do you want to do on July 4th? You have to create some boundaries within that because there's so many different personalities. But what comes out of that experience, what came out of our July 4th was a bike ride to the lake for one child, watermelon for the other, fireworks for the other a chance to see the grandparents for the other. And at the end of the day, we sat back as parents and as kids and said, that day represented what every one of us wanted. And if there was a part to the day that one person didn't want, they were okay with it because they knew their part was coming up. And it it allowed for more authentic and enjoyable. But I'm also in the back of my head preparing my kids to make these kind of decisions in with larger issues in society. Well, and particularly preparing them to to do what they need to do as adults, because those kinds of things, if we expect our kids to go into a workplace and be able to engage in that same kind of decision making with diverse perspectives and people who have all different kinds of opinions without that kind of experience in a really safe environment Mm -hmm. where they can fail and where they can be protected to a certain extent, I think we've set them up for failure in general. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think we just help them own their responsibilities. Let me give you one last example. So I have a child who came to me and said, I want an Instagram account. This is a 12-year-old boy. And as a mom, I'd never addressed this with a son at this age, and I didn't know what to do. And so I thought, okay, what kind of decision-making can I create for him? And so I said, you know, let me tell you what I'm concerned about. These are some of the things I've read. Here's an article I've read. Can we talk about what I'm worried about? I'm worried about what you might be exposed to. I'm worried about the amount of time you might spend there versus doing other things. And then I said, why don't you go back and come up with a solution for this? And then let's chat. So he took a couple of days. He talked to his older siblings. He talked to friends. He talked to friends, parents, and came back. And he said, here's what I think our solution should be. And here's how my solution addresses your concerns. And he came up with this little plan that said, before I go on Instagram, I'm going to ask you first and say, can I go on? And I'll never be on longer than 15 minutes. And I'll be in the same room with you when I'm on. And when I'm off, I'll say, I'm getting off. Does that address your concerns, mom? I said, it absolutely addresses my concerns. I'm there if you need me. We have a time restraint. And he became educated about those issues. And I never have to police him. The other thing he worked into that was, why don't you get on Instagram too, mom? Friend me so you can see what I'm looking at and who my friends are. And it changed the power differential between parent enforcer to child owning the issue. And this young boy now makes decisions about his time about what he chooses to view, what he chooses to read. And it's exactly the kind of thing within a safe environment. I'm right there. We've got some timeframes. And it's just such a great illustration of when you turn this over to kids, 
our roles switch in, yeah. in some really beautiful ways and some great learning yeah. happens. Well, I think that's especially true, especially when we talk about technology and technology literacy. Sometimes we as adults get really scared because we don't completely understand what's going on. And so our natural reaction is no, prevent, right. buckle just, down, you know, you know mm-hmm. protect them from engaging in this. When our expectations should be, okay, this is something that they're interested in. This is something that they maybe a space they need to participate in. But we need to, as adults, figure out how to how to safely let them participate within those parameters. Right. And let them educate us as we go. Yeah. And if I come across something, I'll say, hey, what do you know about this? Can you help me? And suddenly this little boy cares. Yeah, mom, let's work through that together. And they then become the educators as well which I think is also critical. And that really is about the balance of parents and and children working together to really create things that work for both of them. Thank you so much, Amy, for your time today. You're welcome. That was Rachel Wadham here on Worlds Awaiting talking with Dr. Amy Miner about giving our children opportunities for decision-making and choice. Now, Clara Goodwin of our production team talks to Don Shaline, BYU radio station manager, about how reading has opened up doors he would not have discovered otherwise. Do you have any moments that reading, you notice it made a difference in your life? Actually, I have a pretty early one. I had an older sister that used to read to me when I was like in kindergarten. I just remember really enjoying those stories, the little Dick and Jane type things. By the time I got into first grade, I knew how to read. And at the time, that was like not normal. And and because I so enjoyed those stories and kind of reading along with my sister, I was able to read in first grade. And they said, well, this boy is too smart for the first grade. We need to skip him to the second grade. And so because of learning to read and enjoying those stories, I skipped a grade. And that traumatized me the rest of my life. So anyway. (laughs) Reading was a very early thing for me that I really enjoyed and continued on throughout, even today. I, you know, I love to read all different kinds of things and, and with ebooks and things like that, that makes it a lot easier now. What is it about books, in your opinion, that has the ability to make an impact on so many people's lives? Boy, I, I just think that it, it opens horizons. It, it can take you into places that you hadn't considered and what I like about reading is that there is this kind of soundtrack going on there that where you create your own scenes, your own scenery, your own characters. You, kind of, you can see them and, and hear them. And, and I think that a well-written story, well-written lines are, are magic that way. You are a very avid reader. How have you been able to make time for reading throughout your life? You have to squeeze it in. Sometimes at the gym, I, I know this isn't the most efficient way to work out, but you get on some of the cardio machines and it's like, great, I can read now. You know, I can uh, I can hold a book and read uh, you know, on the treadmill or the, the cycle or whatever. So squeeze it in like that. Often vacations are a great deal. Like you go to a place like Hawaii and uh, just enjoy the sun out there by the beach and you just have a nice book. And have you noticed that books have had an influence on your life in your later years as well? Yeah, you know, I, I'm still being inspired by some of those classics and uh, stories that uh, everybody's been reading. Was there a time in your life when you really were able to discover your passion for reading? Well, first of all, the, the life changer on an elementary school level were definitely the Dr. Seuss and the P.D. Eastmans and those kinds of things. I read those over and over because they were just so fun. They tripped off the tongue so well. Later, though, I, I really enjoyed biographies, historical type things. A lot of it, being in business, there are a lot of things about how-tos in businesses and, and uh, relationship type books. Some of them that, that have been very inspirational. Honestly, I have to uh, also come out here and say 
I love reading owner's manuals. You know, those big, thick things that come with a car or with the refrigerator or something. I'm the guy that actually reads those through and go, oh, wow, that's interesting. I didn't know the ice maker could do that. If anybody wants to know what that owner's manual says, give me a call. If you had to choose just one book that was your all-time favorite, what would that be and why? Um, man, one book. That is real hard. Les Miserables touched me in, in a lot of ways, That the story, the essence of that. I really like the storyline of Les Miserables. Clara Goodwin of our World's Awaiting team, talking with Don Shaline about how reading has made a difference in his life. Thanks for listening to World's Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM Channel 143, on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org. 